Great. So we'll be recording it on the cell phone. No, just leave it be, please. All right. Thank you for your patience. Let's get started with the chant. Today is April Fool's Day. <laughs> um, so um, I thought that was kind of fun. And um, I looked up the history of April Fool's just because I thought there, somebody must have figured out where it came from, but there's all kinds of theories about where it came from. Um, but I think we can pretty much count on the fact that it has a very long history uh, since celebrating being fool, foolishness and uh, pranks and turning things upside down um, is found in many, many cultures. Um, so it's a good day to talk about Zen. <laughs> it's a good day to talk about Zen practice. Um, so, you know, being a fool, people think of it um, as negative, as being deluded, wasting time, or life. You know, I have a favor to ask all of you. Could you look at me instead of the screen? That'd be really great. Because I'm like, sometimes people are looking at the screen and I'm like, excuse me if I'm a little impatient this morning. I'm being foolish. But um, it helps me if I engaged with you. Okay. Um, so, we usually think of being a fool as negative, and that's true. I was just a little impatient, being foolish. In fact, facing that, um, our foolish humanness, is an important aspect of our human path. Um, but when we think in terms of zazen, and I'm talking, you know, this is kind of a part of a sequence of talking about zazen. Uh, if we think in terms of our zazen and our practice, we need to invite a spirit of foolishness in the sense of up- upending our usual ideas. In particular, our ideas about effort in zazen and practice and whatever goals we think we have or should have. So I don't mean to demean or deny or refute our goals. Um, To be more calm, more aware, less bound by our delusions is a good thing. All of us know those are are really worthy, worthy goals. Sometimes our goals can be 
not so worthy. And for that, we forgive ourselves and move on. But all of it um, in our practice, we want to put these goals in perspective. We, we want to be able to see that usually um, we think the way things work is that we make a plan, <clears throat> we have a goal, we make efforts to reach the goal, and we measure our success of our effort according to how close we have come to achieving the goal that we make up, <laughs> which is kind of interesting because I said this before, the mind that makes up the goal is often the mind that's kind of goofy. So it makes up goofy goals and then measures our success according to that goal. So we're kind of like caught on spin cycle here. We, this is good, so we might aim for um, I want to be able to run four miles. I want to cook pasta perfectly. I want to write a paper or learn a song. I know the song has learning, uh, working on a new song. All laudable, all wholesome. So this is clear, you know, are these our goals that we, we think we can achieve wholesome or unwholesome? Kusala or akusala? But effort in Zazen is not like that. If it is, and we set up goals based on our based on our limited view, um, then we run in circles, chasing our own tails, these cockeyed notions, spending our time, or we get really discouraged. We think, well, you know, I'm not perfectly calm. I'm not like serenely non-thinking every period of zazen. I'm all bundled up, I'm impatient, I'm whatever. And we can get really discouraged. Say, so, you know, really, what's the point? I can never do this. This is a part of our practice, having these thoughts and feelings, and there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it at all. We are humans, and we have to start where we are. And sometimes it feels like we start someplace and then we go backwards, right? But often that backwardness is just being more awake to what's already going on. So, you know, the good news is often facing our delusion and it's hard. So we have to think differently. So we don't get caught in our ideas. And then when we do get caught, because we do, then we see that we're caught and then that's a measure of our freedom. If we attend to Zazen regularly and to our life with the spirit of Zazen, the teachings and life itself, all of that will continually upend any ideas we have and we will become familiar with a new way. After a while, when I was studying Dogen for after a while, I thought, you know, he's always saying one thing and then saying the next thing. He says, the zazen I'm speaking of has nothing whatever to do with lying or sitting down, right? 
And then the very next sentence, he says, at the regular side of your sitting, spread out a thick mat. Right. It's like, make up your mind, dude. You know? Or you go through something, and you think you understand something, and then whammo, something comes along. And you go, no, 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 no. And this is endless. It doesn't just happen a year or two. It's endless, right? So after a while, you realize, oh, the process is... I think I understand something, and then Dogen or the practice or whatever pulls the rug out from under you. And then you land again and you think, oh, maybe now I've got it. And then boom, and then you land again and you think, maybe. After a while, you figure out that your practice is flying through the air and landing and flying and landing and flying. So we become reoriented over time in a way that rests in something besides our ideas. Our ideas about the goals we set up. And also the habit of thinking that this is our activity, our success, our failure, our effort. We get used to the process. And in that getting used to it, we find great support and friendship. This is crucial. Suzuki Roshi says, if you think I practice Sazen, that is a misunderstanding. Buddha practices Sazen, not you. If you think I practice Sazen, there will be many troubles. If you think Buddha practices Sazen, there will be no trouble. Whether or not your zazen is painful or full of erroneous ideas, it is still Buddha's activity. There is no way to escape from Buddha's activity. In other words, we are foolish to think, I practice zazen, sticking to a position with regard to our practice that places us in our ideas and ourself in the center. And in that way, the waters are roiled troubles occur. The waters of our minds and hearts and our lives become disturbed. And yet, it can seem very foolish to trust statements like Buddha practices, Zaza. What does that mean? You know? We say, how can we expect to get anywhere with such an attitude? Don't we need a roadmap? Signposts? Markers to measure our success, how are we going to know? Won't we just be wasting time without them? This is a natural attitude to have when we're used to running our lives in certain ways. The question is, what do we do with that? When such ideas surface, and they will, we allow them to fuel our practice. Shinchi said last, last week, when she was talking about Suzuki, where she talking about weeds fuel our practice. That's, this is really what we're talking about. We return to the teachings, the breath, the body, the heart and mind, the mind of intention, of zazen, and the spirit of deep curiosity and openness. We entrust ourselves to that. We allow it to transform us. With this, we 
uncover or encounter a deeper question, one that lies behind all the other questions, all the other thoughts. It's something like, well, what is Buddha? Right? If Buddha sits sazen, what is Buddha? These words, Buddha, Buddha nature, are words that undo us. We can say Buddha is all of reality, the dynamic interplay of all of reality, the dynamic reality that is expressed in the specificity of this moment. It is our true nature. But mostly that question is a question that we live with and that pulls us all the way down. It pulls us down deeper and deeper into curiosity, openness. What, what, what? And when we do that, we find a new map, one that's not shaped by our judgments and rankings of ourselves, of others, of things, of people. It's a different way. So in this process, this process requires gentleness and deep respect matched with and fueled by a consistent fire of determination, even sometimes a kind of ferocity. These two things are not separate, gentleness, respect, determination and ferocity, they're all mixed up together. There is no place this does not reach. No person outside of this way, no period of zazen that does not meet the mark, no body that is too old or mind and heart that's too fractured, no will that's too weak. Just return over and over and over and over allow and come to know that Buddha sits zazen. And if you don't know it, no problem, do it anyway. Any pain or ideas or resistance or definitions or physical limitations, it's all included. Remember, Suzuki Roshi says, there is no way to escape from Buddha's activity. <laughs> so. You can try, but you won't ever come to the end of Buddhist activity. You know, I, last year we studied, remember, the five remembrances and the five other remembrances? And I came up with these five other remembrances besides the five remembrances. And this is very familiar to you, I think. There is no escape, no escape from Buddhist activity. Suzuki Roshi continues, Thus, you must accept yourself and devote yourself to yourself or to Buddha or to Zazen. When you become yourself, Zazen will become Zazen. So we accept this self, this life as it is, is very difficult, very difficult. It's not a passive resignation, like, oh yeah, I'm a loser or I'm great, or whatever the latest definition is. It's, it's an inclusiveness based on intelligence, wisdom, and care. 
the devotion Suzuki Roshi is talking about is a devotion to this life with all beings, the one you've got. To devote yourself to yourself in this way is not like devoting yourself to your passing fancies or your cravings or your fears. Those are all conditioned. We see them, we know them, they're heartbreaking, they're disturbing, they're all of it. But what we're talking about is entrusting ourselves to something that's more fundamental than that. It is devotion to a way of the self that is deeper and broader than anything else can ever be. This devotion carries us beyond the limits of the known self. Uh, Abhidhaboro said, Plunging into canon, plunging into the depth of the self. Canon Bodhisattva rescues the eye to the unconditioned. So the eye doesn't disappear, but there's something that happens when we devote ourselves. So we make an effort. Suzuki Roshi states quite clearly that we make an effort. We attend to our posture. All of the wonderful things that Shinchu was talking about last week. We tend to our posture, our breath, others in our lives, and we continue in our commitment to sit sasan. It is in the effort, in the devotion, that we discover who we are. So, as he says, you must make some kind of effort, but we must forget ourselves into the effort we make. Suzuki Roshi says this. You must make some kind of effort, but we forget ourselves into the effort that we make. So I really love this phrase. We must forget ourselves into the effort we make. In other words, we're not assessing or judging where we are, how close we are to some goal we've concocted. We are forgetting the self, our habitual way of being into the effort we make, into devotion, into zazen, into the life that we have. So, he goes on to say, in this kind of realm there is no, no, you have no subjectivity or objectivity. Wisdom seeking wisdom is zazen practice. Wisdom seeking wisdom is zazen practice. In this kind of realm you have no subjectivity or objectivity. Just yes. Our effort is to realize that, to taste it directly. We may bumble along, not measuring up to the ideas that we have or had, and yet something is happening, some unraveling of our ideas, a glimpse of the liberation of not knowing, perhaps a life-changing encounter, times of clarity, times of stillness, deep quiet, times of upheaval, times of bleakness, fear for our future, for the future of the life that we have known, empathy for those that are suffering, empathy for our own suffering, laughter, friendship, beauty, grief. We cannot say what this life is. 
perhaps especially this human life. <laughs> what was it? What was it? A friend of ours who's a uh, teacher in the um, uh, Koreans and tradition said her teacher used to say, humans, number one trouble animal. Something like that. He was number one trouble animal. But if we do this path, we have a chance to live this life with all beings and to realize the Buddha way through our life. So there's a way in which uh, to say one is a fool in the Zen tradition is to point to this, this way of being. The, Zay, the great um, Zen poet Ryokan, you know Ryokan? Anybody familiar with Ryokan? Very great Zen poet. And uh, he called himself Daigu, great fool. He was famous for his kindness, his simplicity, and for his poetry. Uh, he did not constrain himself with a fixed view. And he was not um, swayed by the opinions of others. Uh, I think we have much to learn from Ryokan in many ways, especially in our zazen practice. Reading his poetry, we can have a feeling of appreciation and warmth for his kindness and gentleness, but we must also see the courage and depth of his way, the particular kind of energy and effort and determination that makes such a flowering of the way possible. Buddha, practicing Buddha's way, I think. So I thought I'd read one of his poems that I think um, speaks very well of what we're talking about here today. Listen, as St. Benedict says, with the ears of your heart. First days of spring, blue sky, bright sun. Everything is gradually becoming fresh and green. Carrying my bowl, I walk slowly to the village. The children, surprised to see me, joyfully crowd around. Bringing my begging trip, to an end at the temple gate. I place my bowl on top of a white rock and hang my sack from the branch of a tree. Here we play with the wild grasses and throw a ball. For a time, I play catch while the children sing. Then it is my turn. Playing like this here and there, I have forgotten the time passers-by point and laugh at me, asking, what is the reason for such foolishness? No answer I give, only a deep bow. Even if I replied, they would not understand. Look around. There is nothing but this. Would you like to hear it again? Okay. First days of spring, Blue sky, bright sun. Everything is gradually becoming fresh and green. Carrying my bowl, I walk slowly to the village. 
the children, surprised to see me, joyfully crowd around, bringing my begging trip to an end at the temple gate. I placed my bowl on top of a white rock and hang my sack from the branch of a tree. Here we play with the wild grasses and throw a ball. For a time, I play catch while the children sing. Then it is my turn. Playing like this, here and there, I have forgotten the time. Passers-by point and laugh at me, asking, what is the reason for such foolishness? No answer I give, only a deep bow. Even if I replied, they would not understand. Look around, there is nothing but this. This is a kind of Zazen instruction for us. You know, it's inclusive. This is how he gets his food by begging, right? But the children come, life comes, he stops, he greets it. This is a way that refreshes and, and sustains us. The passers by go by and say, what are you doing? What foolishness? What is the reason for this? We sit in Zazen and we have all these ideas. Don't you have things to do? Isn't it better if you went out and did something? Think of all the list of things that you have to do. And you have to do this and you have to do this. What, what foolishness is this to sit here as if Buddha was sitting Zazen? You? Buddha? Yes. Ryokan guides us. says, do not allow the crowd of ideas and judgments that gather around your Zazen to distract or discourage you. Simply bow. Return to the body and the breath. Return to Buddha's activity. Sit with dignity, whatever your posture is. Entrust your way to this. Try and align yourself with Ryokan's bow. Even what is the reason for such foolishness? No answer I give, only a deep bow. Even if I replied, they would not understand. Look around, there is nothing but this.